Once upon a time when we were coloured, what you didn't know about a man remained undiscovered. But times have changed. You can't put the genie back, said the spider to the jack, caught up in a web of confusion, cause all lies die when the truth is told. Tell that to Justin Trudeau, the Canadian Prime Minister, who it turns out has a past that's a little bit sinister. Not your regular Joe, but a matinee idol, who fancy dressed to impressed and is now full of regrets that he went to the ball as Aladdin, a lad insane, with boot polish on the brain, brown or black, it's all the same. He says his white privilege is to blame, that black Blackface was the name of the game in the circles he moved in, so he's been apologising. He accepts that it was racist, and let's face it, it's not a good look. A lot of Canadians are well shook now that it's transpired that the man they once admired, who not only knows his politics but also his quantum physics, thought it was okay to take people of colour for fools, in other words, to ridicule. But here's the dilemma for brothers and sisters. Every saint has has a past, every sinner has a future, and apparently Trudeau's been a super trooper when it comes to people of colour. By all accounts, he's been like a brother from another mother, the white sheep of the family, without any apology. But whether you believe that or it's just a fantasy, the question remains the same. Are there amazing graces for someone who was racist, who once was lost but now is found? Will the sweet sound save a wretch like that? Is there a place in our hearts for someone like that? Why do white folks like to black up? Is it just a way to act up? And why don't black folks do the same? Ain't we got skin in this particular game? Because reading between the lines, it's been going on from time. Justin Trudeau can't remember how often he turned black and wore the costume. History can recall. History can recall. Every time I hear the crack of the whip, my blood runs cold. All lies die when the truth is told. All lies die when the truth is told. And it's not hard to see why black folks are always on their guard for fear of being accused of playing the race card, even when the one with the black face is the one that played a hand that mocks us and taunts us in a grotesque manifestation. Yet the camp town ladies won't sing that song. Do-da, do-da. The camp town ladies won't sing that song, doodah doodah day. They're proud to be black all day long, doodah doodah day. Stand up, stop, stand up. 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 And as if all that wasn't bad enough, there's another case of the whose race card is it anyway stuff. The BBC Breakfast presenter Naga Munchetti is being taken to task by her bosses who just don't get it. That when you act racist, you're a racist. They're saying you can say someone acted racist, but you can't call them a racist. Does that even make sense? I guess when you're the US president, you can be as racist as you want without censure. You can use the race card at your pleasure. So whose race card is it anyway? I asked a legal expert, Dele Ogun, and an academic, Dr. Althea Legal Miller. First, what is a race card? And whose is it anyway? 
the race card is a reality. It is often played cynically by those who seek to gain some kind of advantage uh, when they are on the defensive. Dr. Legal Miller, what's your definition of the race card? Um, my definition is um, I like to use the game Monopoly. You know, you get that card, the get out of free jail card, which everyone wants to get when you're playing that game. I see the race card as that game, which you hold on to. And if you're challenged in any way, if you're, you know, you go to jail, you can play that card. I see that's what politicians do with the race card. It's a way of silencing a critique, silencing an opposition to... Um, to the use of implicit racial language. It's also a way of dismissing as well. Using the race card has a history. It has not just popped out of the air from nowhere. Politicians have been using this. Now, this dates back to the 1960s. You get in this country, the Race Relation Acts of the 60s. In the US, it's also the 60s with the um, Civil Rights Acts. At that point, you can't use a certain type of language. Why? It's not democratic, racism, a certain type of racism has been stigmatized, Race, racist speech can no longer be used. Are we to believe that in the 60s, racist ideas, the need to mobilize white voters somehow just disappeared? Exactly. It didn't disappear, it transformed into something else. Implicit racial communication. It's been happening for decades. We have seen it in America. We've seen it with the Barry Goldsmith campaign. We've seen it with Ronald Reagan. We've seen it with Richard Nixon. <coughs> um, you're seeing it right now with Trump. Let's argue the points about the card itself, the race card. Oh, you yeah, see, I'm ready for that. Okay, you, let's you do see, that. You see, if there is such a thing <laughs> as a race card... And there is. Who does it belong to? In whose gift is it to use it? And in whose gift is it to accuse somebody else of using it rightly or wrongly? The race card circulates along with power. So we need to look at who has power, who has resources, etc., etc. Again, in a political context, and the history also backs this up. Why does it have to do with power? Because it's about race and the way that race shapes certain types of ideas, yeah, stereotypes, but, 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 and resentments. What, what, what's the imperative about power, though? I don't get that. What's the imperative about power? Yeah. Well, who has power to stir up, say, white racial resentment? Who has powers to set dominant ideas about individual stereotypes? Those things are shaped by race, but so, and they are also they go and circulate along with power. So, if I have a race card, for the sake of argument, and I produce it in the workplace, and I say, "Yeah, you're only you haven't promoted me just because I'm black," is it me that has the power there, or is it the object? When you're defending somebody who says, "Look, at this workplace." Um, I was held back for promotion because I'm black. Mm -hmm. Do you feel in that context, Dele Ogun, that they are playing a race card? No. What you have to do is to look at the realities. If there's a genuine uh, basis for the thoughts that the person has treated you differently by virtue of your race or has made that comment by virtue of your race, if there's a proper foundation for it, that is not playing the race card. If there's a genuine... Fa so what you do, you investigate the facts. You investigate and look to the reality because they are genuine allegations. Race is a reality. Race discrimination is a reality. They are genuine situations where somebody's 
genuinely aggrieved. So you start first with, because the race card has two dimensions. There's, there's one that's played by the accuser, who is falsely accusing the other person of being racist. That is playing the race card as distinct from a situation where somebody has a genuine grounds, has genuine grounds for saying he's been treated differently by virtue of his race. The other side of it is this, where there's a genuine complaint of race discrimination and a genuine concern. And in order to diffuse and make light of the serious allegation, the person who is accused of being racist uh, then says, you're only saying that because uh, you're playing a race card. You see the two dimensions? It's a, a double-sided card. And on the side of the accuser, it's, it, it is played when there's no proper foundation for the allegation of racism that, that he's make, he or she is making. And it's simply the allegation being bowled out to put the other person on the defensive. Mm. Uh, on the other side, it is played and by... And this is the side of the victim. This is on like, the side of the, of the accused. Yeah. The accused can play it uh, where uh, there is actually a genuine basis for the allegation being made against him or her. Yeah. But in order Sh to is diffuse that, is it... Is that technically a race card, though? It yeah, is. That's just that logic is precisely why the race card was invented. Okay, it was invented, was it? Was it invented? Was it created? I, I, I genuinely didn't know. Yes, it? it's a type of political language which okay. is now used in, which is used there. in our political... It's not just an it's expression. It's just an expression, it an ordinary just, English uh, word. It is dangerous to silence If it, it exists. Using the race car silences and dismisses. We, d we damage That's the cause. This is not a double-sided card. We damage the cause when we allow people It is not a double-sided card. When people testify to racial discrimination, we should they be are louder not playing than the rest. We should be louder than the rest when, an when people use it for improper dismisses purposes. somebody. Because that really is crying wolf. If, if your definition of racism is on the basis of dislike, per, at what point do you distinguish just the right for one human being not to like the other person, i.e. dislike the other person, as distinct from being having an attitude which is racist. This is precisely why it's an implicit racial language that's being employed. Why? Because you have plausible deniability. Because, hey, this is just an ordinary word. I don't mean that. I wasn't being racist. Of course you can't prove it you're not supposed to prove it when it's the race card is when you fail to investigate the antecedents of the person against whom you're making the allegations the race card is in to this dismiss case your they argument. ought to have known better it's an important debate we obviously don't all agree on the terms of the debate for me as i've said earlier there is a history behind racialized coding um implicit racial dialogue there is a history we're definitely in this modern era, 50 years in. It's becoming more and more sophisticated. It had to because explicit racism has been stigmatised. It no longer is accepted in political discourse, in social discourse, cultural discourse. But politicians, and I'll use politicians as an example, still have an incentive to mobilise particular groups based on issues that are shaped by race. For instance, their fears or their resentments. Issues like immigration therefore become shaped by race. Issues of crime become shaped by race. Issues of terrorism become shaped by race. 
the fallout is when this so-called race card is brought up, it's a way of making your claims, you know, delegitimizing your claims, dismissing them. It's an easy way to reject a critique on a group or a society, etc. Somehow, if it's not legitimate, then we don't need to deal with it. You are just overly sensitive or you have a chip on your shoulder. Therefore, we don't need to investigate. It's not a legitimate conversation and we can dismiss it and move on. It's a bigger issue in terms of race cards being played and played um, uh, played um, inappropriately or cynically is this. It takes the calls back. It takes the cause back seriously. I always maintain which cause uh, the cause of people of color uh, living in the majority setting, and, and that's the case if a white it, person plays the race card unjustly as well. Uh, true is I've always said it's a double-sided, uh, double-sided uh, card. Uh, race relations uh, and race discrimination; these are realities. This is the world that we live in now, and race issues deserve serious treatment such that when we do genuinely see it is incumbent upon all good people all good people of all colors to stamp on it ferociously and not to tolerate it at all and that's why we must also be very careful uh, to be vigilant uh, to scrutinize um, uh, allegations when they come through not to accept every single one of them to and make the allegations um, with a sense of responsibility. So if you are the victim of uh, racial discrimination, whether in your place of work, whether on your street, I mean, let's, let's take it. I, I, I get it from these black taxi drivers when you try and stop a, a taxi in the city. They should uh, introduce a law whereby their license should be confiscated, should be suspended and withdrawn. If, if it is established that they've uh, treated somebody of colour how can we find a language of discourse that's not loaded, that's not racist? Language is fluid. It is adaptable. It changes. And so I feel history is really important here because history gives us an awareness of how language is used because language is partly shaped also by race. My specialism is the United States. So I'll just give you an example from the States. 1969, Chief of Staff for Richard Nixon at the White House. Chief of Staff makes um, a note in his diary. It becomes public in the 1990s. Um, that's how we know about it. And in there, he's recalling the conversation that he had with Richard Nixon, where he says Nixon emphasised that, you know, we all need to, as a country, we need to face the fact that the problem is really the blacks. Now, he's not quoting Nixon verbatim, but he is summarising what he's saying. This is the crucial part. He then says, Nixon says, the key is to devise a system that recognises this while appearing not to. That becomes part of a political language. And part of that political language is ideas like reverse racism, colour blindness, playing the race card. They're all rooted in maintaining a power structure which actually works against racialized people it's so difficult isn't it it's still not tangible if if somebody like richard nixon president of the united states is organizing a strategy to um to uh, demoralize 
uh, some of the population and to disparage them in the way that Dr. Legal Miller's just said, Dele Hogan, <laughs> what can you do to defend yourself from that? Do you not just have to almost absorb that as part of your life experiences as a black person, just accept it? There's a word of difference, of course, between a program such as been uh, described uh, and what we're talking about, which is the use of everyday language and the issue that you posed to... Uh, selective use uh, of everyday uh, language. Those the, the issue that you pose is how do we conduct mature debates? I've said it, the danger is shutting down conversation. No, that's a danger as well. That's another danger. No, I, I accept but that. recognise the first danger. Come on. Voice of reason. We need to recognise that people have predispositions, that comments are shaped by categories like race. That's that's not... But when we read... I don't think we're... Uh, I don't think I think we can agree on no, that. Not all comments are shaped by race. Not what all comments. We, not all conversations are shaped by race. We bring as humans a predisposition shaped by any number of things where we Absolutely. grew up, who yeah. we spoke to ten minutes ago. Sure, it's race not is necessarily one of the things. But it's not necessarily the a priori thing. Is the point I'm not making? At it's all. not the, the most important thing. But in and politics, there is there is a language in which if you can use an implicit racial language, you can mobilize particular types of votes. Coming out of 60s and 70s, we see a progression, an adaption in the language in which you can't use explicit racial language yeah. anymore yeah. because it's so, not part uh, of the norm so, of racial equality. So what, what role does the race card then have if it can't flag up like a yellow card or a red card on a football pitch, especially against Arsenal? It can't flag up. It can't flag up racism what point does a race card have the point is you get to dismiss you have plausible deniability because you can read it this way or you can read it that way or maybe you're reading something into it and that's a great point because what research shows is that in terms of voters voters respond to racial implicit communication so when racism or racial ideas are hidden but they don't respond to explicit racism. They reject that. So politicians know that. We can make it work if it's implicit. If you can read it any number of ways, if we're not sure what it is, voters, white voters included, reject explicit messages isn't because that, it runs counter to the norms of racial equality. Isn't that interesting, Delia Ogun? Isn't that interesting, the way that the language of engagement has been manipulated in a way against black people because now what Dr. Althea Legal Miller is saying is the politicians won't use it explicitly, they'll use it implicitly, but it serves the same purpose and there ain't a damn thing that you or I can do about it even when we know that is blatantly racist the way that he's couched that language. <laughs> isn't that interesting? Well, look... Isn't uh, that interesting? But it's true, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> you, you, you won't deny let, what let, she says. Let's really. again get back to reality. They're all fine words that we're dealing with this I'm evening. I'm talking about research. The, the, uh, research, uh, research. Those of us, those of us who are concerned about racial maltreatment, racial abuse, etc., etc., and good race relations, it is incumbent upon us to make sure that um, allegations are not lightly thrown out.
here we're concerned about big a big conversation that's politics it's grown up hard conversation uh, the reality is that we are a minority in a majority set and you're not going to abolish uh, race relations you can't the legislation can seek to deal with the most explicit and abhorrent aspects but if you're now going to try and get to the next level of trying to climb into people's minds and 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 filter and uh, uh, legislate out of existence the use of ordinary words because we are seeing connotations. There's only so far the law can help uh, can go in these matters. If the word radical and divisive, if that expression, we now start saying it has racial connotations. You are asking the law recognizes the limits of its own powers. You know what, you said something earlier about um, is there anything we can do uh, or that there's nothing we can do. There is something we can do, which is we can speak up and we can expose and we can uncover. As I said, the research says voters respond to racial implicit communication, but they reject it when it's not hidden. So if you expose, if you expose, if you talk, if you make your testimony about your reality, that is a way of actually fighting back and actually discrediting those who try to silence others.